KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. I'm Charlotte Reese. How would the U.S. change if every car on the road was electric? What would it look like? It sounds like wishful thinking, but the American Lung Association wanted to play it out. So they put out the first Road to Clean Air report. It focuses on a nationwide shift to electric cars, looking into the future a few decades, and they found some really interesting benefits. But how realistic is a future where we've all traded in pumping fuel for plugging in? And what would a transition like that even look like? Paul Billings is the National Senior Vice President of Advocacy for the American Lung Association. I lead the American Lung Association's public policy advocacy work on clean air and climate, as well as all lung health-related topics. That's exactly why we're talking today. Uh, The American Lung Association is releasing its first Road to Clean Air report. Can you tell me about the focus of the report and what inspired the ALA to do this? Certainly. The Road to Clean Air report looks at a transition to electric transportation and the health and climate benefits that we will achieve as we change our transportation system from one that runs on fossil fuels, uh, gas and diesel uh, engines for cars and trucks, to uh, battery electric vehicles uh, across the range of vehicles from passenger cars, trucks and SUVs, all the way up through trucks and buses, providing significant climate and health benefits as we facilitate that transition. Briefly looking over some of the numbers from the report, you know, you guys found from transitioning from cars on the road today to something more better for the planet by 2050, that that could save more than 6,000 lives and more than 400,000 lost work days for people. Can you talk about how you got those numbers and what specifically is happening for those lives to be saved in those work days and so forth? The report shows really dramatic uh, public health benefits from transitioning to electric transportation from the current uh, status quo. More than 6,300 premature deaths will be avoided, 93,000 asthma attacks, and over 400,000 lost work days from transitioning from uh, cars and trucks that are running on uh, diesel and gasoline to those that are running on electricity. We also looked at transitioning the electric grid to showing more renewables, wind and solar, uh, displacing uh, dirty coal to provide additional benefits upstream. So not just from the tailpipe, from the entire transportation system as we transition from refining oil and gas to uh, generating electricity to power our transportation system. So these benefits are substantial. The report shows more than $72 billion in health benefits nationwide. We also see significant benefits in communities across the country as well as we break it down by cities and states. When you talk about zero emission vehicles, does that mean just electric cars? Like what qualifies as that? For our report, we really look at battery electric vehicles. That way we could show the clearest benefits from transitioning from oil and and gas driving uh, engines to electrification. Uh, So our report looks at battery electrics uh, charging on the power grid. There are other zero emission technologies out there like hydrogen fuel cells, but for the purpose of our report, we, we focused on the battery electrics. 
Right. And I mean, do you think there's space out there in the market for innovation in the, you know, zero emission vehicle sector? Anything that's like being worked on right now that you guys are kind of excited about? Tesla's, you know, always the one that's talked about. I think we're seeing tremendous innovation uh, in the electric vehicle space. We're seeing uh, the prices of vehicles come down, and we're seeing more and more applications of electric transportation across the spectrum, whether it's uh, passenger cars, buses, electric school buses, as well as electric delivery vehicles, and new innovations for uh, large over-the-road trucks. The battery prices are coming down. The electric grid is getting cleaner. It's really a bright future, and innovation really is driving this change. And I think the public's excited about it, and a lot of companies are are making new commitments to bring new models and and new uh, technologies uh, uh, to the market. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do notice more and more the, you know, the charging stations at the big stops along the highways, which is, you know, something that we you didn't really think about just a few years ago. Yes, the charging stations and one of the things we call for in the report is to continue that growth of charging opportunities. Because not only are we seeing more and more charging stations, whether it's at rest stops or at places of employment or places people shop or in downtowns, we're also seeing more and more cars parked at those charging stations or recharging. So not only are the charging uh, infrastructure being established, but consumers are using that charging infrastructure as well. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, can you really see a complete transition to electric vehicles? What's kind of uh, the timeline? I know you guys say 2050, but what's the process kind of look like? So for our report, we looked at a variety of scenarios for each of the of 10 categories of vehicles, from passenger cars, school buses, delivery vehicles, all the way up through over-the-road trucks. And we looked at the policy environment where we're seeing the changes occur. So really... For passenger cars, we see 100% of new sales by 2040 for the purposes of the analysis. It might happen a little sooner. There are a lot of people pushing for it to happen sooner, and certainly a lot of companies are, are, are banking on it happening sooner. But we think that there really is a lot of benefit in lives saved and preventing the harms of climate change to drive a public desire for these vehicles. And also, these vehicles are marvelous vehicles. They're fun to drive. The public likes them. They look cool. This is not an electric car of the 1970s. It was kind of an odd-looking duck that was on the road. These are beautiful vehicles that have a lot of advantages for consumers as far as cost to own and operate, reduced maintenance costs. Electricity is is cheaper on a per-mile basis than fossil fuel, gas, or diesel. So there's a lot of excitement and a lot of opportunity as more and more models for consumers for the passenger car market come come to the line, but also trucks, delivery vehicles are coming online uh, as well. Yeah, and if we could maybe specifically talk about Philadelphia, because just thinking about, you know, the city's infrastructure, how many cars are in the city on any given day, I mean, are we expecting charging stations everywhere? What would Philly have to prepare for in order for electric vehicles to be on the road? Well, for our part, we see really significant benefits uh, in Philadelphia, looking at the metro Philly area, which includes all of the counties uh, in the in the Philly suburbs in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, uh, even Delaware and Maryland. We see tremendous benefits. We see nearly $1.5 billion in, in health benefits in 2050, preventing more than 125 deaths 
and over 1,600 asthma attacks uh, as a result of this transition. But to get there, we certainly do need to see that investment in charging infrastructure as well as uh, consumer acceptance to understand the benefits of these electric vehicles. So it it will uh, require charging availability. It will require infrastructure. It will require uh, ensuring that you can get enough electricity to the location where the charging is occurring. You know, there's a a hundred plus years of investment to create the current system of refueling, primarily gasoline and diesel. Uh, So it won't happen overnight. We think over the next few years, as more and more electric vehicles are on the road, as there's greater and greater consumer demand and the clear health and climate benefits are understood, there'll be a strong desire at the city level, the county level, the state level, and and nationally uh, to drive this change. There's already a lot of interest in the private sector. There are companies that have the technology. There are electric generating distributing companies that are anxious to provide this uh, service uh, to the public. So it's really a question of of coming together with all of these pieces, a combination of incentives, uh, investment, and and streamlining to ensure that we have all the pieces in place uh, to meet this demand. Right, right. And you say that, and, you know, I think about Philadelphia and there are certain pockets of even within the city that air pollution is worse in South Philadelphia because of the refinery, for example, and certain things. So I think that the societal issue of climate change and, uh, you know, economic shifts and things like that is definitely you know, on the forefront, and but it can also be controversial in the U.S. I mean, what do you think is maybe like the biggest challenge here messaging-wise? And who do you feel needs to be maybe convinced before this kind of thing really takes a critical mass of people to be like, yes, my next car will be energy efficient and good for the planet? Well, I, I'm not sure there's like one panacea, one, you know, uh, thing that specifically has to happen. But I, I want to touch on a couple of things. One, we do know that um, certain communities bear a disproportionate burden from air pollution from our transportation system. Uh, you mentioned people that live at the fence line near the refinery. They certainly bear a burden of pollution and adverse health consequences associated with the proximity uh, to a refinery. And that's true in South Philadelphia. It's true wherever there's a refinery uh, in this country or around the world. We also know that people who live near roadways bear a disproportionate burden from pollution because of the pollution from uh, cars and trucks on those roads. And we know that often uh, the people that live near these undesirable neighbors are uh, people with low income, communities of color, historic systemic racism that led to redlining that put these communities next to these big sources of pollution. So we're dealing with a lot of societal challenges that electric transportation uh, can help be part of the solution. But it will require investment in that infrastructure to make consumers confident that when they need to recharge their vehicle, they'll be able to recharge it. It will take some incentives to make up for this 100-year head start that gasoline has on electric. But it also will take some recognition by the public that there are real benefits to owning and operating an electric vehicle, making the choices uh, that will provide uh, the health 
benefits for them and their family and for their community and, and also for our planet as we address the existential threat that is climate change. We're seeing the impacts of climate change with wildfires raging in the West, tremendous temperature swings. I think in uh, Colorado, we went from 100 degrees to snowing um, in, in a matter of uh, a couple of days. So all of these kinds of impacts of climate change are being felt now. Uh, severe storms, uh, drought, uh, and and unless we make the choice to make a decision to address the source of the climate change, the carbon dioxide pollution from our transportation system as a big part of it, uh, we won't get to where we need to be and to create a safe and healthy and livable future uh, for our children and grandchildren. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about the report again, we've talked about a lot of different layers, but what are one or two things that you learned from producing this report that maybe stood out to you, something that you want to share and, uh, you know, make people aware of? Well, a couple of people learned from this report. One, we learned that in every state across the country, the public will see health benefits from a transition to electric transportation. So from the largest states in population to the smallest, to states that have the worst air quality, to states that have relatively good air quality, we, we see benefits. We also understand that it's so important to not only uh, clean up the motor vehicles, but also to clean up the electric grid, to continue to bring more uh, clean renewables, wind and solar, uh, on online to offset the combustion of fossil fuels, particularly coal-fired power plants. Uh, And the public can make a lot of of decisions on their own that can help to ease this transition. In addition to the purchasing decision around an automobile, uh, people can, in many states, choose their own electricity provider, put solar panels on their house, also do the, the things that they can do to help reduce their electricity combustion. And they can also call on their policymakers to support the transition to electric transportation. We have a petition on our website where the public can write to governors urging this investment, this support for the policies to facilitate the transition uh, to electric transportation because of the important climate and health benefits. Uh, So there are many ways for individuals to get involved, to make decisions, and from from looking at these data, it's clear that uh, there are significant benefits over 6,000 premature deaths avoided, nearly 93,000 asthma attacks avoided, over 400,000 lost workdays. These are real impacts on real people's lives, and we, can, we have the technology, we have the approach that will provide these benefits. Now we need to muster the will and the desire to make the change that we need. And that's so much information to have all of that across the country and looking into 2050. How was the report conducted? So we worked with a consulting firm that ran uh, a series of government models, uh, two EPA models, as well as a Department of Energy, uh, the Argonne National Lab model. So we input the data for both the on-road pollution as well as the upstream emissions from uh, refining or from uh, electric generation. And then we ran a health benefits model looking at those emission factors to uh, understand h- how these benefits are accrued. So it's a modeling exercise based on uh, the, the uh, work that EPA, Department of Energy, used to help provide these tools uh, to the public and the policymakers to really understand the ramifications of the policies around uh, transportation and what our fleet 
both of vehicles as well as our electric generating and refining look like from, uh, to understand the health and climate benefits. Is there anything else that ALA is working on right now that may be interesting to people in Philly or people that listen to the podcast? I think we're doing a lot of work to uh, address air pollution in many ways, and certainly Philadelphia continues to be faced with a significant uh, ozone or smog problem. And in fact, right now we're pushing the U.S. EPA to tighten uh, those smog standards, but unfortunately EPA is not uh, listening to us, and they propose to maintain the current standards. And, and I know that you know for for decades, uh, air pollution continues to to haunt Philly, and so we're working really hard to let the public know that uh, EPA can and should do better if they follow the science. Mm. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about electric cars and what the future could hold. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of KYW In Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Charlotte Reese, and we'll have another episode out soon.